All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here today, and we pray that you would bless this time. Help us to grow in faith and in the knowledge of your word, and help us, Lord, to, uh, to experience your, your incredibly rich blessings that you have made us more than conquerors, that you have really secured our salvation completely and totally in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, one of the things that uh, I want to start with each time uh, in, in we'll, we'll just maybe get used to this if you're not, you know, feeling like talking about it, that's okay. But maybe one insight, some comfort or some challenge that you picked up from last week's session. That you have to remember. It, but it wasn't as long ago, was it? No, not, not. Okay, think, think, think. It's been a week, yeah. Busy week. All right. Can Romans chapter a, 8. Can you give us a little, was this, yeah, just kind of a little snippet right of Reader's Digest? Yeah, let me, let me reread the, uh, the passage that we talked about last time. Uh, it is... We'll start at 8, verse, uh, we'll start at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to deeper words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thank you. That did really bring back a lot. Did it? Yes, it did. Oh, good. It did bring that. Oh, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. But, yeah. I had kind of a challenging week this week. Um, I'm talking about something that's kind of personal, but I, I, we did a lot of praying about it because I had, I had a mammogram done, which are, you know, normal, and... Um, and that afternoon, I got a phone call from the doctor. They said, okay, you're gonna, you'll find out in a week, we'll send you a letter, blah, blah, blah. Well, that afternoon, I got a phone call from the doctor and couldn't get back in touch with him. So we went a whole evening and night, me worrying, and what, what is the doctor gonna tell me? I got travel plans coming up, this is gonna mess up my fun stuff, you know, and everything. And um, and we did, we did a lot of really very heavy duty praying that night and the next morning as well. And I got up and I finally got through about 10 o'clock in the morning and it was, oh yeah, everything was fine. They just wanted to do a follow-up regular checkup appointment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you put me through this, you know, you really put me through. 
But I really feel, you know, the Holy Spirit really did help, help me through that trying time of uncertainty and fear and what's going to happen. So, Good. Yeah, yeah, definitely lean on the Holy Spirit during those times. Good. Anybody else want to comment or anything? All right. So we are in Romans 8. We're going to... Um, oh, I didn't update the... Uh, the site on there, but it's we're gonna we're gonna finish the chapter today. God willing, creek don't rise. <laughs> Would somebody care to read? It's actually thirty-one through thirty-nine. And it's printed there on your page. Yeah, twenty-eight through twenty-nine. No. Look at the little numbers. Oh yes, I saw that. I goofed up on the big ones. You want to grab the first? Thank you. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring in an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and speaks for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger sport? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Okay. It starts out with this little phrase What then are we to say about these things? Which things? Think back across everything that we've talked about in, in Romans. Eight and a little bit into chapter seven. What kinds of things are, are, are is he been talking about here? Has he been talking about here? Good grammar. Um, I think he's talking about uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. That is part of it. Yep. What are we to say about this? You know, that Jesus has died and risen for us, mm -hmm. right? Why did Jesus die and rise for us? Save us from our sins. To save us from our sins. So if you go back to chapter 7, you've got Paul saying, you know, um, wretched man that I am, the good that I would, I don't. You know, I've got this problem going on in my life that I recognize I've got kind of two things going on in me. You know, on the one hand, there's this part of me that wants to do what God has called me to do, what he has saved me for, and yet there's this other part of me that wants to continue to live in sin and to follow those desires uh, of the flesh. Uh, you know, so uh, you get into chapter 8, and he starts talking about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, and, you know, living to the flesh, living to the spirit, uh, and he talks about the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. You know, that on the one hand, there is this, uh, this part of our, our, our nature 
that is enslaved to sin, and yet God has come into our lives, adopted us, made us his people. That makes some kind of a difference in our lives, right? Um, he talks about creation groaning under our sin and longing for this, this great moment where everything is set right again, right? Um, talks about bondage to decay and, and the re redemption of our bodies. These, these, these kind of polarities here. He talks about the way that God works bad things um, in our lives for, for our good and for the good of God's kingdom. In kind of Lutheran talk, he's talking about what should we say about this reality that we are both saint and sinner. And this wrestling that is constant in our lives. And what's his response? What, what shall we say about these things? He answers his question with a question right there. Verse 31. Yeah, if God is with us, who is against us? Yeah. So I've got all this stuff going, and you know, and it's, it's this wrestling and it's a struggle in this life, and I have all these problems, and, and the creation groans, and my spirit groans under my sin, and all of this is going on. You know, what am I going to say about these things? If God's for us, who's who's against us? And if they are, would it matter? Because, I mean, what's, what's the point of the question? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Who's capable of being against God? And winning. Oh, that's the test, yeah. <laughs> Nothing. No one, right? Well, that, I, was, I was including. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm just, I was just adding to it. I wasn't correcting. I was yeah. just adding to it. Um, yeah, there's this, this hope that we have in, in Jesus is so, uh, it's so overwhelming. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he's, he's going to dig into that in these next verses here. He, he's going to kind of continue to, to elaborate on that. Almost like he's saying, do you want proof? Do you want proof that God's for us? Okay. He didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. Now, sometimes this gets translated and it sounds kind of convoluted, um, you know, it, it, but you kind of have to follow what, what he's saying here. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. What conclusion are we to come to in that? That God is going to do what needs to be done, right? that he is going to do what's necessary in order to save us. Uh, he did not spare his own son, but he handed him over for us all. How will, he, how will he, along with him, not freely show favor, not give us all things? So in other words, if the Father gave Jesus, aren't there some other things that he's going to give us too? Salvation. Yeah, the things he's promised. Yeah. So, the proof that God is with us is... He saved us. Well, it's Jesus, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus dying and rising for us. The proof that God will not abandon us? The cross. You know, God was willing to go through that for us. You think he's going to give up on you now? Well, and then I say that in the resurrection, because he doesn't give up on us when we die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard a story one time about a, uh, a guy. Uh, he, uh, he was working on a multi-million dollar contract and he goofed up the deal. And so he literally loses potential, you know, a couple million dollars for his company. And he comes into his boss's office, you know, I suspect that if you lose a couple million dollars for the boss, they, you know, want to talk with you about that. And, uh, and he comes in and he's just expecting to be chewed up one side down the other and, uh, and be fired. And, uh, the boss is sitting there, have a seat. What happened? The guy said, well, this is what happened. And this is where I goofed up and this is what I did wrong. He's like, okay. All right, get back to work. And the guy's like, so you're not going to fire me? A little bit of hope there, right? <laughs> He's like, Fire you? Are you kidding me? I just invested $2 million in you. That's one of the most expensive lessons you're ever going to receive. No, I'm not going to fire you. Now, bring that over thinking about what God has done for us in Jesus. What has God invested in you? His son. His son. Do you think he's likely going to turn his back on you? Never. Right. Right. Now, I'm not saying that we can't get to a point where we're, we're like, you know, I don't want anything to do with you, you know, and we walk away. But I am saying that even if we walk away, God does not give up on us. And if you want proof, look at what he has done in order to save you. He's given his only son, God in human flesh. He died on the cross for you. You know, the... the these are these touch points. You know, um, he's promised you resurrection. You know, and he's shown you that that's going to happen by Jesus rising from the dead. And, and we have these parts of our lives that, you know, we, we think, you know, are irredeemable. You know, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, look at the cross. Look at the empty grave. And, and, and if that's not enough to you know, go back to those accounts, God has placed the benefits of, of those events in, in some really important parts of our lives too. His word, where he delivers that message to us. Our baptism, where you know, he cleanses us of our, our sins. You know, what does Luther, what, well, what do the scriptures teach you know, baptism is? Is it just plain water? No, it's water and the Word. The water becomes like a vehicle to bring God's promises that are in the Word to the person being baptized. And every time you see somebody baptized, that's me. I'm baptized. I'm washed. God has done this work in me. You know, um, next week we have two baptisms, by the way. 
one at each service. Uh, we were supposed to have a baptism at this last service, but a family member got COVID. Um, you know, so they'll be here next week and we're gonna baptize uh, uh, the Sabella baby. Um, I don't remember who's being baptized at the late service. I gotta look that up. But um, we, we have like uh, five baptisms this fall. Wow, that's awesome. It's pretty awesome. Um, so, um, you know, we have baptism. Every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? What is that for? It, it, I think it has a lot to do with this, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? Telling us that God is for us. That he, he gives us his grace. He gives us his word in this, this tangible way that we can hold in our hand momentarily. I kind of get a kick out of watching how you, you all come up for the Lord's Supper. Um, because people receive it differently. Um, I do know that there are a couple of people who would prefer to receive it the way that I did when I was a kid, where, you know, your hands are not involved and it's just placed in your mouth. We don't do that. Um, it's just, you know, not the practice of our congregation. Um, I would, though. Um, actually, <laughs> there was a guy in my old church who really stuck his tongue out big for the wafer, yeah, which was... Interesting, um, but uh, um, uh, some people come up, you know, and they got their hands out like this. Others come and they're like, I'm gonna pinch the wafer out of my hand, you know, type of a thing. Um, and uh, um, there's one person in particular, uh, you know, every time he comes up, it's, yeah, he, he's this hand bounce thing. And I asked him about it one time, and, and he told me that it, it was something that he picked up from his pastor. And he, he slaps his hand like that against his other hand because it's reminding him of what he's receiving. Oh. It's just like this mnemonic device that he does, and it's part of his piety now. He's done it for years and years and years. You know, so, I mean, it, it's kind of fascinating. You know, so you come up, and I mean, it, it looks kind of like a Necco wafer, right? A white Necco wafer. Um, and uh, um, doesn't taste anything like that, obviously, but uh, you know, you look at that and God's promises connected to this. This is his body. This is him present. This is him touching me. This is the bread of life feeding me. All, all of that condensed into that one little moment, that one little wafer. And, uh, and then you receive the wine. You know, and uh, um, you, you, you drink the, the wine, and there's, you know, for a long time we, we used white wine here. There are some people who prefer that um, because it kind of symbolizes, the color symbolizes that we're forgiven and renewed. We're using a red wine now. Um, I kind of like that because, it, you know, I'm thinking about this is the blood of Christ shed for me. You know, and as you come forward, you know, these visual triggers, they, they bring you back to, you know, you know what, what is God giving me here? This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And uh, I, I know I talk about this a, a, a lot, but it really strikes me that God, that Jesus chose to put his forgiveness into wine. And wine has this way of kind of lingering on your tongue. And you, you walk back, and it, I don't know, for, for me, I, I kind of feel it at the back of my tongue. You know, for a little while after I've received it, 
And I, I think it's because sometimes we look and we say, what do we say about these things? And we think, I'm hosed, I'm toast, I'm not good enough. And Paul you know, basically says, no, that's the wrong answer. If God's for us, who can be against us? Well, how do I know that he's for us? Look at what he's done, he's given his own son. You're baptized into him. He gives you his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And all of it is so that you can know that he is for you. It also signifies too that uh, the body and blood of Christ is cleansing you yeah. of your sins. Yeah. And that's, that's where I get the, when I drink the wine, is that I'm being cleansed of my sins. Yeah, and, 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 and not only are you being cleansed of your sins, you are cleansed of your sins because you were baptized. You know, and, and it's, it, it does it kind of spiral around, you know, I, I was baptized, all my sins, all my sins are paid for in baptism, right? They're all washed away. Well. Yeah. When he was at the cross, they were all washed away. Right, because Jesus takes what he did at the cross, that's the, you know, this word, right? The word that our sins are forgiven by his death and his resurrection. And he places that into the sacrament for us. He's delivering the, the cross and the empty tomb to us in baptism. So Romans 6, if you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. He gives you his death. But didn't he go to the cross for those that aren't baptized yet? No. You, okay, I, maybe I'm you're you're not wrong in what you're saying, but um, so we receive forgiveness and salvation through faith, right? And, and so one of the ways that, that God delivers that is you hear the word and you come to faith. But he's also attached his word to some visible um, elements in order to deliver that forgiveness and salvation to you. So whether you heard and believed or whether you um, were baptized, you know, either way, it, it is the word of God that's working to create faith that receives the promise. Okay. Am, am, I, am I getting yeah, at what? I, yeah, I'm, I'm getting that now. yes. No, I'm, I'm worried about me getting at what you're trying well, to say. Well, um, even though God... Jesus went to the cross for those that have not accepted him because he went to the cross for everybody. Right. Um, you, you are, you're not, that doesn't save those that don't have faith. Is that? All sins are forgiven, even people right. who do even, not believe. Right, they're forgiven. The question is, how do you receive it? And that's through faith. And that's faith. Faith is the hand that receives God's promise. And yet, as people who have faith and do receive God's promise, that this is the whole, what shall we say about these things, that we continue to wrestle and struggle, that we are people who have received the promise, we've received God's gifts, there's this part of us that continues to doubt. There's this part of us that continues to wrestle and to struggle and to, to sin. So I, I, I firmly believe that there is definitely a way that we can say that when I was baptized, all my sins were forgiven. And it, it's equally true to say that, you know, when I came to faith, you know, if, if I heard the gospel first, 
like, like Iftikhar, you know, heard the gospel as an adult, comes to faith, all of his sins are forgiven in Christ. It, it, we tend to tie it to our baptism because as you know, Lutherans, that's where we first experienced it. But I also think that God gives us this gift to have that touchstone moment to go back to over and over again to say, is God for me? Yes. How do I know? I was baptized. And I, we need that reminder over and over and over and over right. again. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, and, and it's not just a reminder. Well, he's, right. he's, he gives. He just gives and gives and gives. Right. So. Yes. And, uh, yes. and on top of that, he gives us the he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the greatest gift of all. Well, because there is like only two kind of spirit going on in this world. One is the Holy Spirit, the other one is the evil spirit. And from the evil spirit, there are like thousand different versions of evil spirit, which is basically like man-made or like man-created. But we have the privilege that we can we can recognize the Holy Spirit. And we can realize that, okay, this is the Holy Spirit, this is the evil spirit. Evil spirit, wash away, go away from me, leave me alone. Holy Spirit, come in and dwells in my heart. And um, in Romans uh, chapter 8, probably verse 39, God also promised that um, nor height, nor, de nor death, depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can separate us from the Holy Spirit. That's the most wonderful and best gift that God has given us on earth. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit's the one that creates faith. He, right. He's the one who does all this work in us yeah. that we can believe and receive these uh, gifts of salvation. Um, so. He, he kind of continues on this line and he says, you know, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Um, so who can bring charges against God's holy ones? There's um, chosen ones. It's another way to say it. Um, so where, where do we find accusation in our lives? The devil. All right, Satan. Um, Satan, uh, that name actually means the accuser. So that's, that's part, and this is important to know, how does the devil work in our lives, the devil and his minions? And he does it by accusing us over and over and over again, which then we start to wonder, um, what shall I say about these things? Uh, you know, am I saved? Am I not? How do I know? Well, if God's for us, who can be against us, right? Um, but you know, th that raises doubts and it raises questions in our minds. Where else do we find uh, accusations? The world. The world, absolutely. Um, some years ago, there was a book that was published uh, by the Barna Group. Uh, David Kinnaman is the author, called Unchristian. Um, I've mentioned it before, but have any of you ever gone through that book? You know, it's a little bit dated now. It's a little bit you know behind the times. But basically, um, it looks at how, do, how does the world view us as Christians? And, uh, you know, and it has all of these different you know, things that they, they see in our attributes. And you know what they don't see? Love, mercy, charity. What they do see is hypocrisy, judgmentalism, 
hyper-political leanings. In other words, trusting more in the powers of government to get the things that we want. Manipulation. And those are some of the accusations that are thrown against us by the world. Yeah, where else do we find accusation? That's right, Carolyn. Right here. Our own consciences, right? That's, that's what Paul is dealing with when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. He, he's recognizing this, this trouble with his conscience. That he recognizes, look at what God has done for me and what all I continue to do. And the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, these all stand contrary to God's word of redemption. They, they all, you know, God is saying to you, your sins are forgiven. You are redeemed, you are cleansed, you are washed. And, and Satan's like, did God really say? And the world's like, this is what I see. And, of course, we see where we are inconsistent in the things that we do. And we tend to place that against what God says, and, and then we're like, well, what shall I say about these things? And what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Notice, it's not about what we do, it's, it's about what, what, what God does. And that's the, the thing that we've, we've talked through this, this whole entire book so far, that it's God is the one who justifies. Um, that word justifies, um, you've got to go back, way back, um, those, those Dikai words, Dikaio, this is one of them. You know, it, it's from that word righteousness. Where does our righteousness come from? It comes from the outside. That's Romans 3. It's a gift that's given to us, that's received by faith. So, Paul sa says here, God is the one who justifies. He's the one who makes us right with himself. Who's the one who condemns? Notice justifying and, and condemning being played off of each other here. And I think it's interesting what Paul does here in the way that he lays this out because he says, who's the one who condemns? And the next two words are Christ Jesus. And he describes it. Christ Jesus, the one having died, moreover, was raised. Uh, he also is at the right hand of God. And if you read just that much, Who's the one who condemns us? It kind of sounds like Jesus. And could Jesus condemn us? Would he have the right to judge us? Would he have the right to condemn us in our sin? Yes. Absolutely. And I think, I think that Paul is playing a little bit of rope-a-dope here. He is going to exactly what we would expect. That you know, if Jesus really knew what I have done, you know, he is the one who would condemn me. And... and, and you know, so could Jesus do it? Yes. But does he? No. And so you have to read the whole sentence. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, the one who died, and moreover, who was raised. He also is at the right hand of God. He's the one that could, and this is what he's doing. He is interceding for you. He appeals for us. And so he's the one who's calling on his father for mercy and he, he's calling on uh, his father to give us forgiveness and life and salvation. And so then he asks the next question. Who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? 
And as he goes through this, um, this list, um, it, it's not really a sentence. It's just a list of words that are separated by the word or. You know, so um, the way that I, I would maybe translate this would be something like along these lines. Who can separate us from the love of God? Affliction? Or trouble? Or persecution? Or hunger? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? No. Only we can. None of them. None of those things can. Right. You know, and he's just, you know, he's trying to think of all the bad things. And these are all part of life. These are all things that Christians experience. And he's like, none of these will separate you from the love of Christ. And he even like piles on. And, and he says, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. As it's written, where? It's in Psalms, yeah. Psalm 44, verse 22. Um, which is an interesting psalm. It is definitely one that looks at what has God done? And how has that changed my relationship you know, to the world? And it, it's not always completely comfortable. You know, that because I'm a follower of God, I experience trials and tribulations and, and troubles. And so he's like, can any of this separate you from the love of God, from the love of Christ? And his, his answer is no. In all of these things, in affliction, in trouble, in persecution, in hunger, in nakedness, in danger, in sword, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do any of those feel like conquering? No, I mean, if you're being afflicted, if you've got trouble, if you're being persecuted, if you're hungry. And yet, take this back, take this back to Matthew chapter 5, the, the Beatitudes, right? Um, the, yeah, so th this is one of those uh, passages that I think has been very poorly handled over the, uh, the centuries by the church. Um, in that uh, we like to try to make this an example for what we're supposed to do. And I don't think it's an example of what we're supposed to do. It's an example of what Jesus does and how we live in a, 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 a state of, of grace in him because, you know, blessed, happy, you know, all good things to those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, uh, these, these are backwards. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they ain't got it. You know, blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's a topsy-turvy way of, uh, of looking at, at the world um, because the kingdom of God is different. He says it's, it's in what Jesus has done that we become more than, than conquerors. Um, it, that's that's kind of a, a, an interesting word. Um, any of you, uh, any of you wear Nike shoes? We're at church, so you know we got our, our, our nice clothes on. Um, Skechers. I do Skechers. Nike uh, is the Greek word for victory. Yeah. And uh, um, 
It, it's basically hyper Nike. Um, it brings together those two ideas, you know, so that we're, we're hyper victorious, we're over victorious. It's just incredibly victorious because of how awesome I am, because of all the great things that I've done, because of the one who loved us. Now, compare that also to Romans 8.18, 8, where he says, where Paul says, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glories that are being revealed in us. All of this is about, look at what God is doing for you. Do you have troubles? Do you have problems? Are you struggling and striving in this life? Do you wrestle with sin? All of it, yes. And I feel like a loser because of it. And God smiles. But you're more than conquerors because of what Jesus has done for you. And then he says, and I am convinced, uh, I'm persuaded, uh, I am confident that, and he has another list here, and it's, it's a, it starts with neither, and then there's this conjunction uh, that, that comes after it, and they, he takes these two words, not and and. So, it's, you know, that neither and not. Neither death and not life and not angels and not rulers and not things present. That whole list. Now, look through those things. Um, death doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. Um, life doesn't. How would life separate? I mean, death seems obvious. Kind of the end of everything. We're used to that idea. You know, if somebody dies, we, we can't be with them anymore. Um, how does life threaten to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? The trials and the things that we face and yeah. the troubles. Distractions. Distractions? Temptations. Yeah. Are the distractions ever just boredom? That you just kind of go through life? You're constantly just kind of, this is the next thing. <clears throat> yeah, I think all of those things. That we, we get so attached to this that we don't think of the greater life that we've been given. Angel, yes, Carolyn? Sometimes it seems, there are things that seem Yeah. And that seems like such a minor little thing, but it isn't. It shows your priorities. It does. And there are a lot of things like that in the world that we, oh, well. Yeah. I saw that in my lifetime because when I was younger, nobody had any sports activities yeah. on Sunday mornings or usually even Sunday at all. Yeah. And then it started practices and now it's into games and, you know, yeah. whole seasons of yeah, I, know, what I, a struggle I, for, you know, for parents to, you know, what do I do? Yeah. 
I had a, a friend who was a, a pastor out in California. And what time does the first NFL game start in California? Oh, what, 10 o'clock or something? 10 a.m., yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And he, he said that at least a solid third of the men of the congregation would disappear September through uh, December. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Uh, I do think that sports is a major idol in our culture. Yeah. Um, angels and, and, and not rulers. Uh, that, that word rulers, uh, if, if I understand what I've read in the, like the, the, the early church writings, this is kind of code word for, for demons. Um, you know, that there's a sense that, you know, this world is under demonic control. This is, um, this is something that C.S. Lewis reflects in uh, um, that hideous strength, if you ever, uh, actually the whole space trilogy, if you ever read that. Um, things present, just the things that are going on now. Uh, things about to be, do we, do we ever get wrapped up in the future and what might happen? Have you ever had a whole conversation with somebody in your head before you're even with them? All the time. And they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and they're going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. You know, Most of the time it never even happens. <laughs> and it doesn't, right, exactly. You know, so we get wrapped up in the things of now, but we also can sometimes get wrapped up in the things of, of the future. You know, and, and back to the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, who among you uh, can add even a single hour to your life by worrying about these things? Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jesus is like, hey, if you can't do something that simple, add an hour to your life. My, yeah. Um, height, depth, I, I think you have a, a heaven and hell thing that's going on here. Or anything, any other thing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, I always, you know, I always want you to take something away from it. I've only become a little bit more intentional about trying to get you to think about it just recently. Um, but if I think about key takeaways for this class, the things I want you to remember are no one. And get ready for this. What I want you to remember about this class is nothing. I want you to remember nothing. Can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one, no thing. And, and you know, that's what we go out with. Um, no one's going to be able to take me away from Jesus. No thing in this world. You know, it's all about what he's done and not about me. And he's more than sufficient. Um, I asked the question at the beginning, you know, if God is for us, who's against us? Uh, I would encourage you to dig out your catechism when you get home um, and look at the Lord's Prayer, you know, the, the, the first three petitions in particular. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Hallowed be thy name. God's name is holy in and of itself. But we pray in this petition that it be held holy among us. So, you know, is there anything that we do to make God's name holy? No. He's sufficient in himself. Um, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now, 
I do think it's really interesting to think about how we think about when God's kingdom comes, uh, that it comes when, when the, the Holy Spirit brings life and forgiveness and salvation to people. Um, but it says God's kingdom comes even without our prayers. Can you stop God's kingdom from coming? No. But we pray in this petition that it will come to us. You know, and, and for the record, God's kingdom is this kingdom of grace, this kingdom where he delivers forgiveness and salvation. And then, um, thy will be done. Can any of us stop God's will from, from being done? God's, done? God's will is done even without our prayers. But we pray that in this petition that God would break and hinder every evil plan of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature that would keep his name from being hallowed and his kingdom from coming. All of this, no one, no thing, you know, it, it, it all drives back to what has Jesus done? What has God done for you? And, and this, this great promise that it, it, God is for you. He's not just there, he is for you. Bringing his life and his salvation and everything. So what are your takeaways? Nothing. I want you to remember. No Nothing. Yeah. All right. Any, uh, any questions before we wrap up here? All right. Then let's pray and uh, get ready for worship. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could be here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us to remember no one and no thing can separate us from your love. Uh, because you have given your son to die and to rise for us. And so when we wonder, if we wonder, you know, uh, what are we to say about these things? Help us to remember Jesus and, and to just hold on to his promises that we are more than conquerors in him and uh, that no one and no thing will ever separate us from you, your love in him. We pray it in his name. Amen.